Advisory services offered through Prime Capital Investment Advisors, LLC, PCIA, a federally registered investment advisor, Overland Park, Kansas. The following or preceding commentaries and responses are the opinions of Jason Noble, Andy Merchant, and their guests, and are not necessarily the opinions of PCIA, are for informational and educational purposes only, and are not and should not be considered investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Welcome to 20 Minutes of Clarity, the podcast that focuses on strategies and ideas to answer the wealth questions you have, hosted by Prime Capital Wealth Advisors Jason Noble and Andy Merchant. As wealth advisors, they've spent years navigating the complex world of finance and wealth management for their clients. Each week, they share practical tips and insights to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether you're looking to start a business, build your investment portfolio, or simply improve your personal finances, the next 20 minutes promises to be informative, engaging, and most importantly, actionable. 20 Minutes of Clarity starts now. Welcome to 20 Minutes of Clarity. I'm your co-host, Jason Noble, and with me today, I have Andy, the man, the myth, the legend, merchant. I'm so excited to go into an important topic once again, as you could tell, when we get into our conversations, we don't want to have everyday conversations right Andy we want to get into what is the most important things that are going on right now and the thing that we are going into today is the retire readiness measurements this is such an important thing because what is the question that most people reach out to seek from a financial advisor when can I be done when When can I I be done how much is enough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I want to retire yesterday. Can I do it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, or and hey, so, I retired yesterday. Am I okay? Uh, <laughs> one of the yeah. things that we focus on in a clear picture of wealth program is that re- retirement readiness score. We're also going to be talking today uh, with regards to healthcare strategies. I think there's a misnomer out there that You have to wait until 65 uh, to retire so that you could jump on a Medicare uh, and that you cannot get any health care before then, uh, you know, other than COBRA. There's there's many factors there and that we're going to talk about. And then the third factor we're going to talk about is your your buckets, your income bucket, your growth bucket and then legacy bucket. So we'll talk about all of those. So let's get into the clear picture wealth program. That retirement readiness score, Andy, as the architect, can you give us behind the scenes of what you do to, to, to drive what is that readiness score? And I can add any context as well. Yeah, I mean, people want to know and have confidence, right? They come to you and I, Jason, for advice and direction and, and how do I do the things I want? But most people spent their entire life doing what they've been, you know, trained or taught or advised to do. And that's put money into their 401k, build it, save it, um, and then pick a day that they can live on a, on a, some kind of level of withdrawal rate and just hope the world just stays fairly normal. And, you know, although that's, that's still kind of, you know, traditional guidance, it doesn't mean that there's another way to give uh, our listeners a better, uh, better peace of mind. So, you know, you and I, when we started building the Clear Picture Wealth Program, we started asking, what are some of the more important questions or the more important ratios that people would better understand than just probability of success through the Monte Carlo simulation that most people don't get, right? And uh, yeah. and so what I felt is, again, with Clear Picture Wealth Program, everything's about 
Let's try to get as much of the things in control um, so that we can manage the things we can't. And there's two main things that go into income, right? Let's break down income in retirement is most of the time you have a certain number that you need and then we have to figure out how to source it. Well, sourcing it really falls into two buckets. You can source it through um, passive income, which we talk a lot about and we'll get some details of what that means here today. Protected income, that's gonna be your social security monies, uh, your pensions, those kind of factors. And we'll talk again on that. Uh, and if you don't have enough of those two buckets to offset your expenses, then you're reliant on your portfolio uh, mm -hmm. and the growth or loss inside of there. And if we have sustained years, that puts a lot of strain on people. Uh, so we're going to really hit on that. But I really think the the retirement or the, um, the, the passive plus protected income ratio that we use um, is probably the biggest one that uh, that we're talking most about. So when it comes to passive income, it's reliable reoccurring income coming off of passive investing. And then when we're looking at protected, then that is ongoing reliable income reoccurring that's coming in off the uh, off of um, either assets that you put aside or it's coming in from Social Security. So we look at those two factors. So let me give you like an example. I think examples will illustrate this really well. Let's say uh, uh, the couple we're working with, Andy, needs $100,000 a year. I like using 100000 It makes the illustration a little bit easier, right? Social Security coming in, it's $40,000 a year. But they have no other income source. They don't have passive income. Uh, they don't have protected income other than the Social Security. So that means they got to withdraw $60,000 a year in order to meet their household obligations, right? Well, in that example, that means they have a 60% portfolio reliance rate. That's really high. According to the retirement income certified professional designation, when I was going through that designation, they were saying that you want to have that number really below 25%. And, and, then, if, and then you get into the psychology of why, and it was the higher the portfolio reliance ratio, the higher levels of stress and anxiety that the couple exhibited during retirement because so much of their expenses were and, and their, the way that they were living life was reliant on how the portfolio went. So that kind of leads me into another factor that we looked at as we were going as I was going through the RICP. And then that was portfolio withdrawal rate. Mm -hmm. Now, if the portfolio withdrawal rate is at 1%, then it doesn't matter what your portfolio reliance ratio is. What I mean it doesn't matter is I could put your money in 100% stock or 100% bonds. You will not run out of money. Yep. So how much money would you need to save to get $60,000 a year to have a 1% withdrawal rate, you're looking around $6.5 million to $7 million, depending uh, based off of tax implications, right? Because the easy number, right, Andy, is $6, is six million, right? And you're yeah. like, well, no, you got to pay taxes on that, right? It's so not $6 million, right? It's not $6 million, right? You got to have a lot more. Okay, so, so now if your portfolio withdrawal rate, let's say it's, 4% or 5%, 
Yeah, you're going to want that portfolio reliance ratio lower. So let's say we came across that situation, right, Andy? What are some of the things that we could be considering to lower that portfolio reliance ratio below 25% so that we could then withdraw the rest to cover the expenses? You know, it's a great question. It's a, and it's a, it's a in-depth question. Uh, and, and there's a lot to peel back on that onion there, you know, but again, sticking to our theme of control, we can't control. There's, there's the, what you can control on the expense side. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with taxes. Uh, you know, let's just take that same example. We have to figure out expenses and cash outflow. And if you can keep your tax bracket to the most minimal amount in retirement, then you're going to need a whole lot less money to live on. You know, I was doing a scenario the other day, Jason, for a client, similar type situation needs about a hundred thousand. All of their money is in a 401k, which mm-hmm. as we know, if we're listening a 401k is great during deferral, but then you hit a certain point in retirement. Now that you could take it out, it's all ordinary income. So now you've got 40,000, we'll use your scenario, Jason, 40,000 of social security, you need 60,000 to come out. Well, 60,000 is not what you have to take. It takes 60,000 plus taxes. And let's just assume now that you're in the 20th, you know, 20, 25% tax bracket, just to kind of give us a round number, um, you're taking way more than 60. Well, right? way more than 60. And again, uh, I always bring it up that 40,000 is subject, the 85% of that 40,000 is subject to ordinary income tax because your yeah. provisional income is well over the limits. So go figure, yeah. right? In that yeah. just so- hypothetical scenario, they're paying even taxes on the social security go figure right well, why, why are no. you going to work your, your butt off all year just to turn around and take 100 grand and have to have twenty five thousand of it go to the government first and then you got to pay for your medical expenses and then you realize that you have really no living because another number we look at is is budgeting in retirement we all know nobody likes budgeting but what's the close expenses but as you're in retirement wouldn't you want to have the majority of your money that you're paying taxes or distributing going to your living expenses, whether it's enjoying the time at the country club, traveling to see things that you wanted to see or spending time with family, grandkids, whatever it might be. Uh, I'd rather most of it go to those purposes than to taxes and or, uh, you know, other features that you could have controlled, but you have to start before you retire. And it gets real hard for us to do any of this stuff once you hit retirement, then we're just working with numbers. You reminded me where last year AARP reached out and they had a conversation with me with spending going higher. What are some of the things that those in retirement that have more of a fixed income, what can they be doing? So a very specific nuanced situation. I had an answer and that, you know, you're on the, you're on the clock when you're talking to AARP, they don't have all day. And I was like, well, I would break down their expenses into essential versus discretionary and then on the essentials, uh, see if there's any ways that they could readjust their expenses. You could do that with home and auto insurance and stuff, stuff like that, right? And then on their discretionary, truly determine, do they really want to keep on spending that money for that? And if the case is no, then maybe they could cut that spending, especially if they're on a fixed, uh, fixed budget uh, or a fixed income, I should say. Um, the other thing that you brought to my mind was asset location. So asset location, I always like to say what the term is and then break down what it is, right? Yeah. For those that are listening, it's how much do you have in pre-tax? How much do you have in after-tax? And then how much do you have in Roth, right? 
And the old adage used to be withdraw money from your after tax and then withdraw money from your pre-tax and leave it in your Roth to the end. That used to be the old adage, but there's been a lot of uh, studies on this. Uh, and, and I came across these studies going through ongoing continuing education, all the fun stuff that we, that we get to enjoy being professionals. And looking at using a blended distribution where you're taking some money from the IRA, some money from the Roth, some money from the taxable, actually show to have that money last the longer. And the mm-hmm. core rationality behind it was less tax drag. Less tax drag allowed that money to stay in the account working longer for those that, for, uh, for those that use this approach. So when I can... Like, right, Andy, I look to see what could we do to implement that approach. If I'm working with my clients in their 30s and 40s, I'm already giving them recommendations about how they could have assets in different locations to offset this risk. But to your point, how many, how many generations were saying put money into the 401k and let it grow and then you could take the money out? Also, that 20 to 25% goes to Uncle Sam. Right. And so this is where we're getting into more sophisticated approaches by seeing, is there ways that like Roth conversions can make sense? And, and then how do we offset healthcare costs, you know, based off of your assets and where that money's coming from? Well, and that ties into the question, Jason, when people always ask us, you know, Hey, when can I be done? Give me confidence. And the answer always is it depends, you know, and if we've got (laughs) enough time and we've structured the buckets, right. Um, we have so much more control. I'll tell you a fun story. Um, you know, kind of before the the interest rate started to go up, you know, we know that markets have volatility, you know, and as we've always tell our clients, we don't like to have to sell in retirement to provide you your income when the markets are down. And and that's, that's a balance we have to play because once that money's out, it's out, it can't, it can't rebound. And, um, you know, before the downturn started to happen, I've got some great partnerships with some banks here, but we started putting on home equity lines of credits that had multiple year fixed rates. Right. So if you're a client out there, you're listening, you've got to partner with your bankers. It's not as attractive as it is right now, but I always have all my clients before they prepare for retirement is when they've got income because bankers only like how much you can pay based on what you earn, not what you own. Um, put on a home equity because your house is trapped equity. And in this case, my scenario or my example is the market started to downturn. We were able to lock in a low three and a half percent fixed rate. The markets went down. We were able to borrow from their equity in their home through a home equity at a much lower rate than it would have cost in both taxes during distribution, if we wouldn't have had it, plus the lost money that we wouldn't have been able to have to rebound. Now the markets have rebounded and we've worked, we're starting to work ourselves out while we're still in that three and a half percent fixed rate. Wonderful. So going back to it depends. You have to meet and have a breakdown of asset location more than anything. Uh, and then we could help you define what portfolio uh, reliance, withdrawal rate, and financial independence metrics are the, are ideal for you in that story. I'm going to touch on healthcare, right? Yeah. You don't have to wait. Those listening, you don't have to wait until Medicare to then retire. You can retire before 65. The 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 thing that I would say is, where are you going to get your your healthcare from? If you have a retiree medical benefit through work, well, that could be the answer, right? Other times what I've seen for larger companies is they give like a stipend that uh, their retirees could use 
when they go on to the marketplace under the Affordable Care Act. Well, then, then we got to look at what are what are the premiums, deductibles? Does it cover your prescriptions and things of that nature? But this is worthy of of, of a dialogue and an analysis. Because what if it's like one of those things where you want to retire at 62 and you are and you have the funds, you have the money, you have the resources to do it, but no, you're, you're going to work another three years just so that you have Medicare. This is where you could potentially retire earlier and be able to still have your health care needs met. And, you know, and, and this conversation is involving not just your financial advisor, but your healthcare provider or the future healthcare provider. Someone has been vetted here in Charleston. I vetted someone who's phenomenal. He helps not only with the Affordable Care Act, but helps them all the way into uh, Medicare planning. And then we work collaboratively. What I mean is, my clients and they and, and this advisor, they send me over the reports, and then I'm able to run it into my system. And if you have good asset location, I could do a blended distribution to keep your modified adjusted gross income lower so that you get what's called a premium tax credit. Hence, what I'm saying is you pay lower premiums per month in order to get for due to this credit. So you can retire before 65. And like, I, I get the answer. I already hear it, Jason. You could retire 64 and just jump on the Cobra. You could. You could, but you could retire sooner and not even involve Cobra. I mean, well, if, I, like you said, Jason, on this stuff, even if, with the with the subsidy tax credit, the premium tax credit, we can get it way lower in cost than Cobra. Than Cobra, and if you're going to get the coverage that meets your expectations, then why even go through the Cobra route? I have used Cobra. I have recommended that because what they would have got on the marketplace was not going to meet their needs as well. But, but the, just to do Cobra, just because you're used to it, <laughs> all I'm saying is work with an advisor that focuses on what's in your best interest and has that dialogue. And if you decide to go with Cobra anyway because of a level of comfort, then you made a well-informed decision. But if you make a decision purely off of comfort and there was no one there that showed you this other uh, arrow in the quiver that you could have used, Right? How frustrating that is that going to be, knowing that you paid all this extra money per month, per year, just to bridge that gap, that gap until you reach 65? And it's not well, often I work with couples that they're both born in the same year, Andy. Right? I was, so they just, take care of that. just took it right out of my mouth there. I was, <laughs> I've been trying to get it out. Yeah, because most of this time, right, when we do retirement planning, it's not single life retirement planning. And... And when you're talking about healthcare, you know, what if, you know, what if spouse A's turn 65, but spouse, you know, B is, uh, is 62 or three, I don't think they're going to want to stay working uh, for a couple of years. And I don't know, I'm sure you talked about this, Jason, but well-timed, even if you're going to go on COVID, because you don't have the assets to take advantage of the premium subsidy credits that we referred to, and that's what you have, you know, there's ways that you can extend COBRA coverage for your spouse. Um, as long as there's a qualifying event that would still allow them, right? So we went down that path with another one of my clients. They retired, but their COBRA ran out in the middle of, or at the same time, in the in the middle of when they were applying for Medicare. And oh, under the rule, gracious. which you can look at it, 
if they if it runs out, then your surviving spouse or your spouse would be able to continue the COBRA coverage for them for another 18 months. So you can actually get up to 36 months of, of COBRA coverage if you understand the time in the rule. If you understand uh, it. But this is yeah. this is what I'm getting into. It's like COBRA could be the right answer. It could be. Yeah. I'm not going to say it absolutely is. But if you want to retire before 65, this conversation needs to happen as soon as possible. Why not today? Just stop whatever you're doing and reach out so we can have that conversation. All right. Last but not least, man, we got to get it's not going to be 23, 23 minutes of, clar- of clarity. It's going to be 20 minutes, Andy. We got to talk about the bucket. So when you do a bucketed approach, right, you got anywhere between three to seven years of income in the income bucket. Okay. And then you have everything that's in excess going into the growth bucket. Now, there is the what's called the legacy bucket. When I'm doing growth and income, I'm focusing on pure retirement income strategies and planning. The legacy bucket that I have used in the past is any RMDs that are in excess than what they need for spending. That goes into like a joint brokerage account or a trust account. And in that, that money is geared towards for the next next of kin for down the road or even offset some health care costs down the ro- down and later on in the plan. Andy, what are some of the other things that you have explored for the legacy bucket? Yeah, no, you kick it. I think the key message or the key comment there is that this is excess income. This isn't like I want to leave money to my kids. Yes, that's part of it. But this is the money that you can commit to in retirement that are for legacy wealth. So it could be, to your point, Jason, what you said, it, uh, we're doing one right now for a client. It's an RMD. They have excess RMDs, requirement of distributions. Mm-hmm. We've got a plan in place. We're funding it, but we're using excess money to, to buy a leveraged benefit, right? Yes. So instead of just passing on whatever is left in the 401k at the right or an opportune time, we are now buying an, an, an above and beyond leverage benefit of a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, using money that they just would have put into a bank account and got very little or a brokerage account and, and had the volatility. So that's a key strategy. Annual gifting income. People want to make sure that they have gifting um, in their legacy bucket. It could be charity. It could be to their church for tithing and, and ongoing support. You know, so you got to think about it that you have to build in your what's your legacy and how much cash flow are you going to use every year to fund it ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah. If it's a 502c3 charity like nonprofit, you could consider using qualified charitable distributions, QCDs as well that could lower your tax implications and and help you with your philanthropic goals i'm always you know i'm always impressed Andy. you always add that extra quiver into the into the scenario the extra just one extra arrow into that quiver every single time i love it andy well that was andy the man the myth the legend merchant out of wichita joining me today here in charleston south carolina for 20 minutes of clarity thank you for tuning in and listening we'll be in next week thank you